Well, hey there, and welcome to our Sermon Audio Podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. If you have your Bibles this morning, by the way, we'll be leaving a little prayer reminder. Uh, you can put on your refrigerator to remind us to pray. Only problem with this is I gave one of these to a friend of mine, and he says, Ernie, he says we put your picture on the refrigerator door to remind us to pray for you. He says, but every time I saw you there, I lost my appetite. So, no, no, I'm kidding. But, uh, uh, but we do want to remind you to just continue to pray, not only for us, but other ministries. Doors are closing. Time is getting very, very short. We have a lot to do. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of John. And one of the most amazing things that I've found out over the past few years being in the ministry is that there's an, an awful lot of there is an awful lot of uh, church going on in the world today. I, I know that sounds silly. That's, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But there's a lot of church going on. People come <clears throat> basically to church. They will come to be ministered to. They will come to, uh, you know, be with friends. It's a social opportunity. They network there. They meet people, get jobs there probably. So there's a lot of reasons. And just to kind of boil it down to just what it means, just boil it down to its, to its primary purpose, we are the church. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sometimes it's difficult to do because we, we don't know what that is that we're supposed to be looking for. I've been with young ministers who say, well, the purpose of our church is, and others who say the purpose of our church is. And I think that's probably, you know, that's just us speaking from our own desires to do stuff. I've been in church all my life. My wife is a church baby. How many are church babies? You know, you were born in church. Anybody here? Oh, good for you. Okay, we're talking about that before service. It's an amazing opportunity to grow up influenced by godly people, isn't it? And I, I, pre- I praise God for that opportunity. But to really kind of boil down what the church is, is something the Lord laid upon my heart many years ago. And I think that's something that has to do basically with what, the way we approach what we do when we come here, why we are together, why, why we are here, why we are together. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 12, verse 1, there are two components of this that I want to share. The first of it is the, the, the raising of a dead man. I, I've, this always gets me. I, I don't know. I'm, 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 in chapter 13, you probably know this, but in... in um, in chapter 11, rather, of John, I'm kind of mumbling here a little bit, but we'll go in here. Here we go. In chapter 11 of the book of John, Lazarus is raised from the dead, which is a, a phenomenal feat on planet Earth. I mean, this is a rarity. Jesus speaks, and a man who is literally lifeless in a tomb for three days and whose real personality and real person is in a chamber waiting for the resurrection, hears his voice. And as Carmen wrote in his song, he heard his voice. He heard somebody calling his name. There in Abraham's bosom, he heard someone calling his name, Lazarus. All all across the room, as far as you could see, were dead people who had previously lived on the earth. And now here they are gathered in this chamber waiting for the resurrection, waiting for the the moment. And there's one voice that's heard in that chamber, Lazarus. Someone had said if Jesus had just said, come forth, everybody in that room would have left. Got it? 
but he said Lazarus. He was literally pinpointing one man in one place, and he was saying to him, Lazarus. And then he says two words that not only changed his life, but have changed the lives of countless millions, billions of people since then. He says these words, come forth. And in a way that only God understands in the spiritual realm, that body that, that was lying there <clears throat> dead and starting to smell a little bit, according to his sister, Lord, by now he's stinking dead, suddenly begins to twitch. Fingers begin to move. There inside the death bandages, his toes begin to wiggle a little bit. And maybe his nose begins to twitch. And he begins to stretch his body and he throws, he finds himself an energy flowing through his body. The same energy he had when he was alive, before he was sick, before he took his life, he, the energy was flowing through his body. There's an electricity of heaven flowing through his body like he hasn't known before. And he swings his legs over the side of that stone perch and he works himself in an upright position. And he begins to move, if you will, toward that door. You can almost see it. You, I don't know how he did it because none of us were there, but you can see him beginning to move towards that door. His bandages, but just barely able to move his feet, unable to move his arms. He moves to a, what maybe is a crease of light just around the door. Because he's heard in his inner ear, Lazarus, come forth. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't get it. He can't explain it. He doesn't know why it's happening. He just knows it's happening. And he's moving. And his feet are moving. And everything about him is moving. Come forth. And as he gets closer, suddenly he begins to realize, and this is just Lazarus, he begins to realize that the stone is beginning to roll away. He begins that there are people, he sees that there are people and they are moving a stone and it's rolling out of the way or a rock that's being moved with a stick. And suddenly there's that blinding sunshine. And he comes out and stands in the door of the cave for just a moment. And there are literally hundreds of people possibly gathered around because hundreds of people followed Jesus everywhere he went. Okay, we're going to lunch now. Everybody go to lunch. Hundreds of people. But now they're all following Jesus, standing there. There's a dead man. And there's no denying it. Because the Jews have, and Jesus knew it, and he waited for it. The Jews had a law that after three days, the spirit leaves the body. But now after three days, the spirit returned to the body. And he knew that's what they were thinking. So he's going to give them God's law. After three days, the spirit returned to the body. And now that body, which was stinking dead is alive and kicking and let me out of these wraps. Get these things off of me. And he's alive. And standing out there in the crowd, like it is here, standing out there are the people who cared about him and the people who took care of him and the people who visited his house and the people who had been at the dinner that was held after his funeral. And they watched as Lazarus came to life. And there he is, just standing there. And Jesus is the, is the primary focus now, is on Jesus and on Lazarus, the giver and the receiver. 
And then we have a short pause, if you will. And we go to chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover. Now, sometime later, we might say, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Duh. Everybody knows that. In fact, the whole country was buzzing with it. It was just literally buzzing with it. There was a dead man, and he was in the grave, and he was certified dead, and he was stinking dead, and Jesus raised him up and pulled him back into life. Okay, now here we go. Where Jesus, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here, here is a verse that I want to just focus on. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Say those three words with me. In Jesus' honor. What does that mean? To honor Jesus. To honor Jesus. In other words, this family, which we know by the way they are identified in Scripture, were a kind of well-off family, don't have to worry about anything, and they were giving a lavish banquet to honor Jesus. Why? Well, why not? Look what he had done. He'd always been a close friend of the family, seems to be, from the reading of Scripture. But now in this particular chapter, we find out that he has made an impact on that family like he has no other family. He has raised the central character of that family from the dead. And I've always thought, and I think you might think this as well, that when somebody in our family is hurting and they get blessed or they get healed or something good happens to them, we want to be sure that we honor the person who honored them with the blessing of health or life or whatever it was. So they're going to honor Jesus. And this isn't just you and me, you know, inviting people to our house with, you know, snack crackers. And by the way, I I heard Pastor Brandon talking about how much work lies ahead with 16,000 eggs. And I thought to myself, glad I'm a visitor here today. Just, just me, just me. Pardon? Okay. Yeah, I'm glad. We'd love to, but we got to go somewhere else. Carol, where else do we have to go today? (laughs) But the idea was it isn't just us giving a little dinner, you know, this is a banquet. I mean, this was a catered affair that brought literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people into their household, and they were all mingling in the house, and you sat down and you ate. You ate as much as you wanted. You kind of lounged around in this rich man's house. This was a great event. This was a wonderful event for the village. But I want you to listen to this. A dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and then there are just two words. I'm going to go through this real quick. There are two words that begin the whole process of what I believe boils down to what the church really is. Because we only exist in his honor and to honor him. That's, what, uh, that's the only reason. I listen to great preachers and they always tell me about the theology of, of this and the theology of that and the philosophy of this. And, but it only boils down to two reasons. It's what happened in this house. A man who had been dead was brought back to life. Those who, that person who had been gone, who was dead, who was cut off, was brought into new life. And now he will, the one who brought him to life will be honored. And that's what it boils down to. So this becomes, if you will, a nutshell. It becomes a very, if you will, a a kind of a, a tiny little microcosm of what the church looks like. And it's played out in the lives of three people. And the first one is Martha. And it uses these words, and just two words about Martha, and it says volumes, okay? 
When you say these two words about Martha, if you've read the Bible, you say these two words about Martha, you covered it everything. Here it is. Martha served, okay? Principle number one, Martha served. In other words, Martha, because she's always mentioned first, it seems to be the oldest sister. How many have an older sister? Enough said, okay? And not only is she the older sister, there are no parents here. So these three siblings live together in this great house. So the house now belongs to the family, but we really know who the house belongs to, don't we? It belongs to, by the way, Martha likes white on the walls. So every wall in the house is white. Martha is the enforcer. We're so glad to have you here today. Please take off your shoes. We're glad if you don't use a coaster, don't bother putting that drink down. You know, that's the kind of lady she is. Well, you get that feeling just from other, uh, other snatches of, of where we've seen her in the Bible. But here's the thing about Martha. She serves. Martha served. In other words, while everybody is out there having a good time, enjoying the atmosphere, it's Martha who basically is, has a mindset to serve Jesus. And, by, and the, today she'll serve Jesus by serving those who are in her household. And the thing that I bring out of that is, number one, Martha served, the church serves. The church serves. When I check into a a motel sometimes, I I used to ask, do you know this church? And sometimes they say, no, I never heard of them. Or sometimes I'll say, oh, that's the church that has the homeless mission. That's the church that does that big festival every year. And they are known, their reputation is carried, not because they're spiritually alive, but because to the unsaved world, they serve. They serve selfishly. They do what you do when you feel those eggs. They do what you do when you come to the pantry and care about people and put food in there and take it out to people. They serve. Martha was serving. She was serving Jesus, but she was actually touching the lives of other people. And that's the basis of the component that I think is so important within the church is Martha, her personality, everything that she is, her 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 way of life, why she exists is wrapped up in these two words. And it's wrapped up the same way. Now, I've been in Martha's house many times. We've traveled all over the world. And I've been in Martha's house. And you can tell when you walk into Martha's house. She's standing in there. She's got her hand out. And and the moment she shakes your hand, she says, I'm in charge here, Buster. I mean, I'm going to, it's going to be fun. You're going to enjoy every moment of it. But I want you to know I'm in charge here. And she's not trying to be mean. She's just letting you know, this is, what, this is my ministry. This is what I do. Say these two words with me. Martha served. Say it again. Martha served. And that's what you do. And that's the impact you'll make on this community all around. That's the impact you'll make on Wednesday night. I'm not just making a commercial. When you serve the community, when you serve others, when you stretch beyond yourself, he was dying, laying out, stretched on a bed, In his last two words, he motioned for his wife to come close. She knelt down over him, and General William Booth said something to her. And she took out a piece of paper, and she wrote it down. And then he passed into eternity. That night, she spoke at the rally of the Salvation Army. I believe it was that night. And they asked her to share General Booth's last words before he departed. And she opened the piece of paper and she said, you ready? Others. Others. Man. 
That's the church. That's what it boils down to. I love the music. I love the fellowship. I love internet with the people who are around me. But it boils down to serving here in the church, serving Jesus in his honor. Say that with me, in his honor. In his honor, Martha served. Look at the next phrase. While at the same time, Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Now, you can't do this, and you know this is not going to be allowed, especially in your house. But when they ate in those days, they did not have chairs at tables like we do. They reclined at the table where they would lean on one elbow, and they would eat. Of, you know, they would lay it lay beside the table, and they would kind of eat with, you know, with one, and it, not something you would do, not something, you'd be, except on football Sunday. Maybe this would be allowed, okay? But there's something unique about this. Lazarus was reclining at the table with him. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Lazarus is kind of the center of why all this is, you know, is doing. And why? Because he represents someone who had been dead and had come to life. Someone who had been dead and had come to life. Someone who was stinking dead, decomposing, without movement or life, and now was fully alive, enjoying all the functions of life. And now, if you will, for just a moment, maybe as he's sitting there and Jesus is maybe sharing, talking, maybe Jesus is going through the Beatitudes one more time at the head of the table, and Jesus is talking, and Lazarus is what? He's listening. You know why he's listening to the words of Jesus? Because it was the voice of Jesus that he heard in the underworld, in that netherworld that brought him back to life. So every word that he's got to say, I want to hear. Amen? Every word that he has to say. I mean, I love Charles Denley. I love all the good preachers. I love the good preaching. I love your pastor. I love all the preaching that we all do. But I want to hear the voice of Jesus. Because that's the voice that called me from death to new life. Get it? So the principle here is that every word that Jesus speaks to us, when we're in discipleship, when we're reclining, when we're in that listening position, we're hearing because his words made a difference in our life. I've read Lennon, I've read Marx, I've read all the other great philosophers I could get my hands on, and none of them seem to make me kind of listen. But when I hear his words, and they are words that are bring life, man, and healing. So we got Martha serving, we have Jesus listening, which is a beautiful picture of the church doing what you're doing right now, hearing the word of God, letting the word of God fill them, and taking the word of God and living it out in their own lives. Lazarus listened. But then there's this last character, and then we're done. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're almost done. Generally, people stand up and applaud when I say we're almost done. You know, They throw money <laughs> or other stuff, <laughs> hymn books. Anyway, it's this last verse, and I want to talk about it. Then we'll get, we'll get out of here, okay? It's verse 3, if you will. Then Mary took about a pint of nard, pure nard, an expensive perfume, which, by the way, varies according to whatever theologian you're listening to. It either was worth $3,000 or $30,000, but we do know that it was a pure extract uh, kind of a perfume, a kind of thing that came all the way from India. It was made especially in India, came in on the, on the caravans that passed through Israel on their way to other places. 
Now, many of the early households would buy them and use them as investments because you could always sell them again and again and again before they were used. And the price would always would raise just a little bit more, you know. But in this case, this was something different. Let me read this to you. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. And we pause right there for just a moment. Where did she get this? Well, she's a, from a wealthy family. We know it's, a lot, it's worth a lot of money. It's hers. It belongs to hers. It's hers personally. It's what she owns. And why does she own it? Many Bible scholars have a lot of speculation about this, but I want to share with this one. It's real quick, and it's really good. You ready? Here we go. When young women about the age of 12, entered the, when they were, reached the age of 12, I should say, they were celebrated, and some were given, uh, were blessed to become what they called virgins of Israel or daughters of Israel. This was a very high honor, and it was reserved for the young girls who were raised in Israel. Like young men would become sons of, sons of the covenant, young women would become daughters of Israel. And they were expected to live a pure life according to the word of God. But at this time, there was many of the rich families would make this a very unique time, unique ceremony, where they would give gifts to their young daughters to honor them, to make them understand they were like they were being treated special, like princesses. Here's what is very touching about this. Now, when she's older, she will not be able to inherit because she has a brother. She may if he has a good heart. Otherwise, she's just cut out altogether. It's expected someone will care for her. But her parents kind of slip a gift in to let her know that she'll never be forgotten. And here it is. It's a little pint of nard. It's about this big. It's either round or square, depending on what rider you read. And in it was this nard. And you know what the nard was used for? You know what it was used for. It was used to anoint the body at death. One writer put it this way. He said, at 12 years old, she would receive this gift. It was her parents' way of saying, if we're not here when you pass away, if we're not here when you die, we want you to know we care about you. And so we're sending this along so that others will act in our place and take care of your body. Give it the respect it deserves. It was a very touching thing. Many of the women looked upon it as the most precious gift they received from their entire family. It was the most precious gift they received, many thought. Now, Jesus has entered the house, and he's talking. There's a lot of noise going on. There's the music, that weird music they play in the Middle East, and there's food being served, and Martha's scurrying all around, taking care of anything, and use a coaster, and, you know, this kind of stuff, and, and Lazarus is just kind of sitting there, wow, is that right? I never thought, but, you know, when we were down there, I always lived in, during this time, Mary just kind of drifting back. Now, she may well have been a teenager at this time. We don't know. But looking over the situation, her heart is so full of appreciation. Her heart is so full. I can imagine in my mind, and this is just me, that she goes into her bedroom. And the first thing she sees is the most precious thing she owns, the thing, the gift from her parents. And to her, how can I give that to Jesus? How can I express to him? how very, very much he means to me. She reaches over and she picks it up, very heavy. She takes it out. And while 
all the noise of the banquet is going on. She finds her place at Jesus' feet, and she breaks it, and it begins to go all over the place, and she reaches in, and she grabs some, and she begins to rub it on his feet. And Jesus, now this is awkward. Jesus does not get up and say, what are you, what are you doing? In fact, what he does is does not say a word at all. Let me read this to you. Then she took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet. She wiped his feet with her hair. And here's what I want to finish with. And, his house, and the house was filled with the fragrance. So while we have Martha, who knows how to serve, and like a church that knows how to serve and does its job well, we have Lazarus, those disciples who are listening to the word of Jesus. That's the primary purpose of the church. What really fills the house what really brings it home and really ministers to Jesus, one of only two times Jesus is ministered to in the New Testament, is this. When she breaks her most precious gift and pours it on his feet. The most precious thing that we have to give to God is not what we hold in our pockets. It's not what we drive. It's not what we even think it may be. It's the worship that's inside us. This is why we were created, to love him and to have fellowship with him and to worship him. Say worship. And this is the most beautiful picture of worship, in the new, in, not only in the New Testament, in the, all the Bible. Here's someone just breaking what is theirs, what only they can give, and bestowing it on someone to whom they are so grateful that they would render all that they are at his feet. Pour it out at your feet. And I love this. As she begins to worship him, and worship is, can be and should be intimate and loving, but it can also be embarrassing and awkward. Because sometimes we worship God, we begin to speak in tongues, and we worship God, and we just begin to love him out loud, and we kind of lose control, and we love him, you know. And people are saying, oh, could you just turn that down a little bit? As if we wanted to control the affection we have inside of our hearts. I've had people go, oh, have you seen our puppy? But when people's hearts are so full for Jesus, they just begin to worship. And notice this where it says, and the house was filled with the fragrance. It doesn't just fill this house. It doesn't just fill her house. It doesn't just fill the house in heaven. It fills all the house of all the people when we worship him in spirit and truth. I'm not just talking about that casual no, 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 sing along. You know, we're all going to sing along. I'm talking about when we express deep worship from our heart deep inside of us that just pours out of us and it fills the house. And for weeks afterwards, people would walk through the house and say, somebody opened some perfume in here, didn't they? And this isn't that dollar store stuff you got her for Christmas either. This is that really expensive stuff. You could live a year on what you wasted your most precious possession. You wasted your most precious thing, your life, by pouring it out at the feet of Jesus. And, and she said, yeah, and I would have done it again if I had it. I'd do it all over again. And the house you ever sung a song on Sunday morning and you were so blessed, your heart so taken, your worship so close to him, that you just throughout the week, you just found yourself singing that song, worshiping one more time. If I could just slip back into that moment. 
Bow your heads with me for just a moment. We serve. We listen. But we worship. Father, right now, there's every heart that's here today. Every breathing, living human being is a picture of what happened there that afternoon. These people, they serve you. These people, they listen to you. And these people, they love you. And they worship you. And there you are, Jesus, sitting. You know what it felt like, Jesus. We can't even make up words. You sat there as she touched your feet and wiped that beautiful anointing oil. Can you lift your hands all across the room and just begin to worship the Lord? He's, the Holy Spirit is in the room. Hallelujah. We worship you. Hallelujah. 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 Sometimes, Lord, we just love to love you. Say it out loud. We just love to love you, Lord. Come on, say it out loud. We just love to love you. You just fill our hearts. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Just for a moment, let the aroma, the fragrance of worship, as you worship from a pure heart, you love the Lord and you're going to serve him. And you love the Lord and you listen. Here comes that moment when you give what only you can give, your very self to worship him my most prized possession I lay at your feet. Lord, we worship you. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me for just a moment? We're going to turn it back to pastor, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't follow the scent of worship, the fragrance of worship for just a moment long. I wonder if our pianist could come back for just a moment. And let's just love the Lord for just a moment longer. You know, you're, you're going to have time throughout the week when you're going to, things are not going to work well or things aren't working right, and you're going to bow your head and say, Lord, why? And here's that moment when you can love God. You're going to step back into a real world in a moment. But before you do, how about just loving, loving God with all your heart? Let's worship together. We worship you, Father. Can you just lift your hands? Lift your hands right now. She plays... Hallelujah. We worship your Lord. Hallelujah. In heaven, the first thousand years may well be taken up. Just standing in his presence. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. Glory to your name. Father, we worship you. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, hallelujah. Just for a moment longer. Thank you for checking out our podcast today. For more information, you can find us on the web at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.